Welcome to episode 27 of our Life Group study on the Book of Romans. Today we are in Romans chapter 15 and we're looking at the first part of the chapter, verses 1 to 13. We've been learning about how to deal with differences of opinion in the church on non-essentials, things that are not clearly forbidden or commanded in the Bible. And differences like these would have been common in the early church as Jews and Gentiles were becoming united in Christ. For example, a Jew that had grown up since birth not eating pork would have found it very offensive to be with a Gentile Christian who permitted himself to eat pork. Of course, under the New Covenant, pork wasn't forbidden. But how would one handle that kind of difference? And this is what Paul is teaching us about. And today, we're going to learn some lessons about unity from the example of Christ. What better place to go than the example of Jesus Christ himself? Um, Paul starts the, the passage today with the words, we who are strong. And so he includes himself with those who are mature enough not to be shaped by a weak conscience in non-essential matters. So to begin, please pause the video and follow the instructions on your screen. Welcome back. Let's continue together. Let's have a look at those three responsibilities that we carry for unity. The first responsibility is to bear with the failings of the weak. Would you please pause your screen and answer the question that I've put there? So the words translated failing is literally weaknesses. So the way we could read this is that the strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of the weak. So Paul doesn't mean that the weak are sinning, as the word failing might actually imply, simply that their insistence on certain rules is merely a sign of weakness, of a weak conscience. Please turn again to the screen and pause to answer another question. From the context, I think to bear with means to carry or support. In the words of John Stott, one person's strength can compensate for another person's weaknesses. And so our first responsibility when it comes to building unity is to support those who have a weaker conscience than ourselves. And of course, Trevor explained what that meant in the last episode. Let's move on now to the second responsibility. The second responsibility is not to please ourselves. So once again, if you could pause and answer the question on your screen. 
What does Paul mean when he says, do not please yourself? I think he means, don't put your freedom before another person's need. For example, I might be free to drink alcohol as long as I don't get drunk because I know that I can control my fleshly desires and I'm not going to drink too much. I'm going to stop. But what happens if there's someone who battles with that um, amongst the group of people that I'm socializing with? What, what, what happens if they've made a rule not to drink at all because they know that it can lead them down the wrong path? And by exercising my freedom, I actually override their need, which is a need to remain sober. I could actually cause that person to stumble. So I need to be very careful not to put my freedom in front of another person's need. And our challenge as human beings is that whether we are weak or strong, is that we tend to be self-centered and self-seeking. But we ought not to use our strength to serve our own advantage. So our responsibilities are to support the weak. That's the first one. And the second one is not to please ourselves. Our third responsibility is the opposite of the second. We are to please our neighbors in order to build them up. Once again, there's going to be lots of questions uh, today in this episode. Please pause uh, your video and answer the questions on the screen. Let's see if we can shed some light on this. I wonder if your discussion did help in that regard. Man-pleasing, very clear definition of it. Man-pleasing is about valuing man's approval more than God's approval. This is not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about trying to um, make sure that we, that we seek the approval of, of other human beings over God's approval. Good. So our responsibility for unity involves firstly supporting the weak, secondly not pleasing ourselves but rather pleasing others to build them up. There's the first three. And Paul now gives six reasons for fulfilling our responsibility for unity. He's given these responsibilities in a sense their commands and now he's being reasonable. He's telling us this is why I want you to build unity in the way that I've told you to do it. And he gives six reasons for fulfilling our responsibilities for unity. Once again, another question. Please pause the video and answer the question on your screen. Paul quotes Psalm 69 verse 9 here because he wants to illustrate the the reason that Christ did not please himself. That's why we should be building unity and not pleasing and, and, and pleasing others because Christ did not please himself. So he quotes Psalm 69 verse 9 and in this psalm you i.e. God is under reproach but God's righteous servant in inverted commas, me, accepts the reproaches instead of God. You saw it there. The reproaches of those who reproached 
you, God, fell on me, the person who is seeking to please God. And this serves as a perfect example of what God is talking about. A big part of what Paul is talking about. The opposite of pleasing yourself is being prepared to suffer for the sake of pleasing God. We put God first. First God, then others, then ourselves. And Christ gave his life to please God by serving him. And he did it for our sake. Some more questions, so please Pause the video and answer the questions on your screen. Can you see from, from verse 4 that the Bible was written for our instruction on the first hand and for our encouragement, and then thirdly, to give us hope. But notice that we need to add endurance to what the Bible gives us. The Bible gives us instruction, it gives us encouragement, it gives us hope, but at the same time, we need to endure whatever difficulty we might be experiencing as we try to build unity in the church. Folks, it's so important for us to read our Bibles and to study our Bibles. If we want to be built up, if we want to be encouraged, if we want to be instructed, if we want to have hope, then let's get into our Bibles. So the first reason to fulfill our responsibilities for unity, specifically the responsibility to not please ourselves, is that Christ didn't please himself. The second reason is that unity is a gift from God. We find that in verse 5. Verse 5 tells us that harmony is a gift from God. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. If I grant you something, I'm giving it to you as a gift. So God wants to give us the gift of unity in the body of Christ. Just imagine if I spent a small fortune buying my elderly mother a car so that she wouldn't need to walk to the shops in all kinds of weather, how would I feel if she didn't use the car, knowing how much it was going to be of benefit to her? Just imagine how much she'd be lacking if she didn't use the car. And if God wants to give us the gift of unity, it's because the gift of unity is a really good gift. It's an amazing gift. It's intended, folks, for our good. And it's a tremendous blessing. The next thing I'd like you to notice here is how God is described. He is described as the God of endurance. <clears throat> Can you see it there? And encouragement. May the God of endurance and encouragement. We're to persevere in building and maintaining unity, but we don't do it alone. We do it in partnership with God, who is described as the God of endurance. And that's wonderful because we will need to endure when it comes to building unity. Furthermore, we'll need to be encouraged and he is the God of encouragement. How does he encourage us? Well, we've learned, didn't we, in the previous verse, he encourages us through the scriptures. If you want a good dose of encouragement, get into your Bible. So, a second reason to take responsibility for unity is that 
Unity is a gift from God. For heaven's sake, receive it because it's good for you. And it must be a great blessing. Now we've got another question, which is to give us the third reason. It's there on your screen. Where do we find unity? Folks, we will only find unity in accord with Christ Jesus, or as the NRV says, as we follow Christ. Our unity is not going to be centered around some issue. It's not going to be centered necessarily around some doctrine, but it will be centered around Christ. We will find it in Christ. So, third reason to take responsibility for unity is that unity goes with Christ. Therefore, Christ followers ought to be unified in Christ. The fourth reason for building unity is found in verse 6. Look at the screen and answer the question there. What is the purpose of unity that Paul gives in verse 6? And we, 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 find, we know that it, we're going to find a purpose in verse 6 because it starts with the word that. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. What's the purpose? That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is glorified when Christians are unified. Folks, let me say that again. God is glorified when Christians are unified. Unity gives voice to beautiful praise. Just think on that for a moment. Our unity at Harvest Church gives voice to beautiful praise. And so the fourth reason to fulfill our responsibility for unity is that unity glorifies God. And we're praising God when we work towards unity. You know, you don't necessarily need to be singing a song when you're praising God. When you work towards unity, when you take responsibility for unity, you are actually praising God. Now for the fifth reason. In verse 7, Paul concludes, Therefore, on the basis of what he said before, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. One again, once again, he, he emphasizes the truth that unity glorifies God. But the reason why we're to welcome one another is because Christ has welcomed or accepted us. There's some more questions on your screen. So we accept others, something that builds unity, because Christ accepted us when we were weak. Let's look at the last reason for taking our responsibilities to build unity very seriously, and it's in verse 8. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. When Jesus was on earth, he served the Jewish people. We see that in the Gospels. He was there primarily for the Jews. That was a priority for him. And his purposes in doing this was to confirm the promises given to the founders of the Jewish people, the patriarchs. And God has always been true to his promises. He made promises to the patriarchs and he remains true to those promises that he made to the patriarchs. And when Jesus served the Jews by dying on the cross, he made it possible for God to fulfill all his, in other words, God's promises to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in so doing, Jesus showed that God was truthful. He served, in the words of today's passage, to show God's truthfulness. But when God made a promise to Abraham, he said, all nations will be blessed through you. And this happened through Jesus, according to God's promise. But the blessing of the Gentiles, though it came as a result of the promise to the Jews, came to the Gentiles through mercy and not through a covenant with them. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs through the covenant and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. God didn't actually establish a covenant with the Gentiles, but he showed mercy to them. And it all happened when he fulfilled his promises to the Jews. Then Paul goes on to give some spiritual backing for his claims. There's a whole lot of quotes there and you can read them. And that relates to the next question that I'd like you to answer, which will be on the screen. Now, what does all this, which comes because of Christ's service, have to do with unity? It shows that through service, Christ unified the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, when you think of the combination of the Jews and the Gentiles, we're talking about the whole of mankind. By serving, Christ unified the whole of mankind. And folks, if that is the case, shouldn't we too become servants for the sake of unity? At the end of the passage, Paul closes with this beautiful benediction. It's one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible. I've committed it to memory. I, I often reflect on it and meditate on it. And it's this prayer asking for God to bless the Roman Christians. I, I would encourage you to use this as a prayer to bless your children, your loved ones, your friends, your work colleagues. Just look at it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Actually, I'm getting goosebumps from this. All joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There are a few, surprise, surprise, <laughs> a few concluding questions 
for you to answer just to help you get to grips with this incredible benediction. Well, folks, that's it for today in episode 27. I trust that it's been a blessing to you. What I get out of this is that unity is incredibly important. And uh, Jesus did so much. He gave his own life for the sake of our unity as Christians. And it's incredibly glorifying and honoring to God when we work towards unity. So let's do that um, using these principles and reasons uh, that Paul has given to motivate us. And I'll be praying for you. I pray often for Harvest that we would be a unified body of believers. Thanks so much for signing in and I trust that you've had a great time together. Cheers for now.